0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Passages of Summer Edition at the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we all know the early pages of a novel or story are really difficult to get right. So this summer, we're discussing the choices that went into a range of authors' first pages in terms of scene, structure, language, etc., and how those choices might help you with your own first pages. Today, I am very glad that we get to hear from one of my favorite people and favorite writers. Kelly J. Ford. She's coming out with an amazing new novel in July called The Hunt, and we're going to be able to listen to her read from the beginning of the novel and ask her a whole bunch of questions. So good morning, Kelly. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Michelle. It's lovely to see you again. Kelly Ford, or Kelly J. Ford, is the Anthony-nominated author of Real Bad Things, Cotton Mouse, which was a Los Angeles review West book of 2017. And her new book coming out is The Hunt. She's an Arkansas native and she writes crime fiction set in the Ozarks and the Arkansas River Valley. Um, I recommend grabbing all of her books. I, I recommend grabbing multiple copies of her books. So everyone, just make sure you have that. Okay, Kelly, yes. give us an overview of this newest book, and then we'll get to listen to you read your first pages.
1: All right. As usual, it's bonkers. And as usual, I don't have a succinct sentence for it, but um, I'll do my best. Um, so it's about uh, an Easter egg hind, <laughs> bonkers, an Easter egg hunt uh, set in Presley, Arkansas, that the small town is divided over whether or not a series of, of um, deaths associated with the hunt every year are actually part of just accidents or if they're part of a serial killer's plan and if he uses the hunt to catch his latest prey
0: I love that because it turns this like innocent of an easter egg hunt into you know basically a, one of those survival movies in which everyone's trying to kill each other to get through to the final you know yeah <laughs> it, and then you throw in a serial killer too it is it is bizarre and but it's wonderfully bizarre I hope so. I hope so. I mean, matching the mundane and the completely ordinary and the innocent with this idea of a serial killer is perfect. Okay. Let's listen to these pages. Everyone on the link for the pages is on our podcast notes if you want to follow along. Um, And and, because I just think it's really nice to see what they're reading from. Okay, Kelly, go ahead.
1: All right. Here we go. Chapter one, Nell, Thursday, March 24th, afternoon. 24 days before Easter. By the time Nell Holcomb pulled up for a shift at Mayflower Plastics, the KAOK news van had parked in her spot. Adding insult to injury, Maggie, the office manager, stood in front of the camera, chatting them up, wearing her new bedazzled Hunt t-shirt that clashed with the fake tan she'd maintained since her sorority days that still showed her white skin and the underarm creases, talking about how causation does not equal correlation and accidents happen. Tell that to the families, Nell thought. Maggie never would, though, not to her face or anyone else's. But she'd go on TV and tell the world and call herself and other people like her eggheads, like they were this fun little group and there weren't any deaths associated with the hunt every year, serial killer or not. If Nell didn't know any better, she'd guess that Maggie worked for either the radio station or the Chamber of Commerce. Nell walked on by Maggie and the news crew without saying a word, hoping they wouldn't recognize her as the little sister of Garrett Holcomb, white, young, handsome, smart, and dead. When Nell opened the plant door, Lloyd startled her. He hiked his pressed khakis, looked outside, and cast down his eyes. Sorry about all this, he gestured in the direction of Maggie and the news crew. Nancy asked me, Lloyd offered as an apology. He was your average white, middle-class guy from a flyover state, not wanting to stir up any trouble, but doing so anyway. Said it would be good to present both sides, let people know how we feel. And with Maggie so, he searched for the word excitable and Nancy so against it well I guess they thought it'd make for good TV otherwise I wouldn't have he checked his watch struggled with his words they were supposed to be here hours ago he looked genuinely tore up about it a young Asian woman wearing a KOK vest and carrying a clipboard gestured for Lloyd to join her I can tell them no have them go on home after Garrett died there wasn't much attention not like now There was a brief mention at the back of the newspapers. It wasn't until Nell had been working at Mayflower for five years and after earning everyone's trust that she wasn't a dumbass and knew how to fix things that Maggie told everyone else. That changed everything. No, no, don't worry about it. Nell tucked a loose strand of unwashed hair back under her slouchy beanie hat and pretended like everything was fine and nothing bothered her because that's the only way she knew how to cope with what had happened to Garrett and anything affiliated with the hunt. I appreciate it, Nell said, but I think Nancy's right. Good to get both sides, she thumbed toward Maggie, especially to counter folks like her. Nell laughed, although it was forced. Thanks again. I appreciate you and Nancy. She checked a fake watch on her wrist. Eek, I should clock in before my boss discovers I'm late. She clapped Lloyd on the arm at the joke. Then she smiled brightly and broadly and hoped Lloyd bought it because she didn't like people worrying about her or even plain thinking about her. The break room was no better. She knew what she would find. The whole lot of them sitting at the table, their little ragtag night crew. Marcy, a white bumbling but well-meaning label operator straight out of high school. Viv, an older white Christian conservative woman who had become a grandmother at the age of 45. Fonsifon, a Laotian immigrant mother of adorable twin boys. Juanita, a third-generation Mexican-American woman who hated living in Arkansas and couldn't wait for her husband to be stationed somewhere, anywhere else. And Casey, a white male hipster college student who drove forklifts and listens to emo bands. And Ada, who was equal amount smart and smartass, and the proud black mother of a future engineering student. As Nell made her way through the long hallway, their voices grew louder. Who was their biggest competition? one in previous who won in previous years strategies for searching and warnings not to go alone don't let the hunter get you louder than the others was ada johnson nail's work wife according to everyone at the factory boasting the most about how she came so close last year and without needing any of them when she saw nail walk into the break room she stopped talking didn't even pretend to be talking about something else or look at her Nell guessed most people didn't know how to talk to people like her without worrying they'd say something wrong. She understood that. Hard enough to say, sorry your brother died of mysterious circumstances on the side of the road. Harder still to say, sorry everyone thinks your brother was the first victim of the notorious serial killer who's been stalking Presley's annual hunt for the golden egg. If it were up to Nell, no one would say shit, and they would just go after, go about their business like they didn't know her personal history.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Holly, were these, did you always start here? Uh,
1: No, this was, this started out as an entirely different book that uh, my agent at the time was, um, you know, we talked about it and it wasn't quite, you know, something that uh, they thought would kind of make it in the marketplace because I tend to write very uh, sad things, <laughs> And it was only, it was only, yeah,
0: yeah. You
1: know, it's like, oh, it's really depressing family, family trauma and history, which I love, like feed that into my veins. I will read every single book about, about families and just trauma and tragedy, like what's not to love. But um, yeah, so it wasn't until after a lot of revision and kind of taking this book and combining it with another very depressing book, um, smashed them together. And then, you know, started thinking about it in terms of this other idea that I had about um, a radio station that um, it kind of came together. So, but that's kind of how every single book I write or story I've written has started is it it's like take two manuscripts that aren't quite working on their own or aren't quite working for the marketplace. Not that you know, you know, you do what you can with it, but uh, you know, I kind of just mash them up and come up with something else. So,
0: <laughs> well, what's great is that you you have this essentially comic idea of the Easter egg. <laughs> It's bonkers and ridiculous. To me, that just invites me in completely, along (laughs) with the darkness, along with the Syriac, everything. Um, And so whatever you did to to do that mashup is great. Now, did you always start with Nell? When when you created that mashup?
1: So Nell was a part of a Trunks novel and elijah her nephew who also features in the book um prominently they were both kind of lead characters in their own novels and then um i think i also have another novel that was a part of this and i was like oh no that's just way too much going on so i stripped that novel out so um but now was always a a voice um in my head and I think, you know, when I talk to people about writing and revision, I'm always like, you know, I I think about my characters very much as just kind of like these little actors you know, waiting, waiting in a queue in my head. They're just like sitting in the lobby waiting for something like you've got little Meryl, you know, Kelly Ford, Meryl Streep, you know, Herbert Kelly's version of Meryl Streep, just waiting, you know, sitting in the lobby in my mind, kind of waiting for a great role or something. And so I think in many ways, I, I always start with character Mm -hmm. um, versus plot, which, you know, people do whatever to, their juices going but for me i i really revel in creating characters and so i feel like when i do that they're so stuck in my brain it's almost like they're the real individuals and um i feel like i can use them as avatars in many ways and be like oh now yeah she was you know living in boston she was doing this other thing she was a comic artist but now, Nell is, you know, this factory worker in Arkansas. And for some reason in my mind, it just works. I can make that work because I feel like I already know what makes them who they are. If yes, that makes
0: I, I love hearing this too, because I, I know so many writers, they 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 have a lot of books in a drawer most writers, uh, or a lot of ideas or parts of books. Um, and people always worry about, well, I can't cut this. Or I can't take this out. I'm like, hon, you can use it in another book. You can use it somewhere else. Use it. Um, so strip whatever you need to strip in order to make what's, what's right in front of you be able to work. Um, yeah. yeah. And Nell was obviously calling for you. For me, the name Nell is very girl next door. I just like Nell. There's, yeah. I, I feel like I can trust Nell. I know Nell. Nell is not, a, not complicated in the best of ways. And yeah. the name Nell Holcomb too, just felt very solid, kind of small town in that way. I mean, it, <laughs> you know, it just, it yeah. works. It just sings that. And because uh, sometimes naming of characters can take you off on a Weird tangent as a reader, but this name really works for me. Um well, it's kind of
1: a mashup of a, of an old family name, Holcomb. But yes. then is actually the name of a contestant on Jeopardy. I heard one night, and I was like, God, I just really love that name. So, but the naming of characters, real quick, was fun. You might have heard uh Casey mentioned. <laughs> so that's actually what I did because it's a serial killer novel, and there are so many names involved in this and their victim stories throughout I took the names of people who you know are special to me mean something to me or I interact with um, regularly on Twitter and I kind of t- I created their names so it's like I've got you in there <laughs> so in many ways and Casey is Casey LeBlanc whose um, book is coming out gosh when is it 2024 he's another novel incubator um, alumni and so- it was really funny to create also these little Easter eggs for my friends. So they get to go and kind of hunt for their names.
0: <laughs> oh, fantastic. Okay. I'll look for that. Okay. You also start, so you have a um, timestamp Thursday, March 24th afternoon, but the big important thing there is 24 days before Easter. So you're setting a clock. Yeah. Um, and which is all important in a book, particularly in a in a crime novel or a thriller, the sense that um, something is coming, uh, the sense that we need to get things done or need to get things figured out before they come. Had you, did you always have this clock when you came up with this idea? I didn't, and it was actually
1: through Elizabeth Child Sheryl Byrne, um, who was also, <laughs> we're, we're all still a big cult together, right? The Novel Incubator Crew. Yes, but, um, she nice, was a nice cult. <laughs> it, it's a nice cult. Not like the ones you see on Amazon Prime about the uh, the people in Arkansas, who are <laughs> religious and have a lot of children. Anyway, um, so Elizabeth Child Sheryl Byrne, she wrote Holding On To Nothing, Year Two Novel Incubator. She is my ride or die. Um, beta reader. And sometimes we don't even read things to each other. We just plot things out verbally and talk things through. And she was the one who said, you know, this could really benefit from a clock just to keep everything um, paced, um, keep that tension rolling. And I think for someone like a writer like myself, that's really important because I am not a traditional genre writer and I love genre. It's more just like, I feel like sometimes I want to disclaimer or my books for readers, just like this, the pacing might not be what you're looking for with a thriller. <laughs> like I like to get deep dives into character and okay. um, depression and fun things like that. So you're going to, it's going to be a slow ride. And I always um, think of it in the clock for me is similar to you know, I, whenever I'm thinking about a novel and talking to people about pacing, I'm like, you know, you go into an amusement park. It's like, what ride are you pacing wise, you know? And it's like, I love a small world. I love that pace. It's so great. You know, it's just like, you know what you're getting into. And I think with my books, I, I'm, my favorite ride is the one that just cranked you up very slow all the way, all the way, all the way. And then you go all the way to the top and then you drop. And that. <laughs> I just love that. I love that ride. And so for me, um, that's a kind of tension that cranking tension. And I feel like a clock is kind of that one more, um, click on the chain that drags you up the ride. So,
0: and, and you announce the clock in the timestamp before the chapter, which I think is a great way to kind of, to get it up there. It's, bold we notice it but it also doesn't interfere with the narrative line um because it might also not it may or may not be something that the character has first on their mind maybe but at least the reader does so Mm -hmm. I think that's important so we get her showing up at a shift at Mayflower Plastics I feel that puts us right in a place Mm -hmm. we're at a plastics factory there's only there's a news van but it's only one news van there's Mm -hmm. not so this is a small place (laughs) and all the references to the hunt the word hunt is capitalized and so again it it makes it what we think is familiar a typical egg hunt into something really unfamiliar makes us question it it makes us wonder oh my god what is going on um so we lean in a little bit for that it does have again has that comic side to it and then the announcement um just very quickly you know like they were a fun little group and they hadn't and there weren't any deaths associated with the hunt every year serial killer or not i mean you just kind of Drop that in, like, ah, this is just a little piece of information. We're like, what? A cereal? <laughs> right. So there's so much confidence, and you're really getting a lot of information here just as she's walking into the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it just works very well, including her wound. I'm assuming it's her wound, which is a loss of Garrett. Right. So can you talk about how that functions in the book?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a critical piece and it's part of that character development. And, you know, when thinking about mashing together these two novels to make this novel, it's like Nell had a different type of wound, but it was a loss. Um, It was like a a loss of a partner. But um, Elijah, who was in the other novel, he had a a loss as well. And so it was kind of like combining those losses. So Garrett was actually a loss from from elijah's book and so i was able to kind of combine those two things because very similar and so um i i don't i don't know i mean i i feel like i want to know as a reader i i am so drawn to like w- the character's wounds because i know it's going to have that through line that the emotional through line that i enjoy when i'm reading um i don't like super plot heavy books um i want to know what someone's going through kind of i love backstory you probably know this just from reading my stuff um in very um early forms (laughs) (laughs) where it's like, you've got to get rid of all of it. And I'm always like, I love information dump though. So for me, it's, it's always that balance of how do you take 20 pages of things that are so fascinating to you as a person, you know, you know, psychology, major interest person who, um, you want to know detailed histories of people and how do you get that down to a sentence or two and it's it's a challenge and it's something that um i still struggle with um but i always am like but it's literary crime so i can get away with it
0: <laughs> I also like in real bad things what we might otherwise call backstory becomes a second timeline because we need we need what it becomes its own dramatic rise and fall that we follow through the novel. And so if, if you do feel um the rest of you guys feel weighted down by a backstory, you might actually just have a second timeline that you can then follow. And then it has its own shape, it has its own drama and tension, and, and it can work brilliantly, just like it does in Kelly's second novel. Um, and I think here the wound is is good too because. Nell has some walls up. You know, she doesn't want anyone talking about her, and she doesn't want anyone talking about her loss. She doesn't want anyone talking about Garrett. Um, she she has a front up that seems like you know she's not going to get emotional about this, um, though she does instantly have integrity, and this is you know she says to um, or she thinks about Maggie. She says, "Tell that to the families of the of the people that have been lost." Um, so there's a moment of integrity there, but then also we find out Nell is in is in one way is one of those family members. Um, so I I think that wound, particularly of a of a lost family member, opens a character up very quickly to us, um, and can and can work really well. Can you talk about? We then get Lloyd, who. <laughs> The poor guy. <laughs> I'm also from a flyover state. Thank you very much. I mean, I am too. And I also aren't we
1: all? No, right? Not really. Yeah, it can really, really flies. Um, anyway.
0: um, you don't know because, yeah, I don't think anyone even goes near Iowa now. No, yes, they do. Sorry, Iowa. Sorry, I'm from that. I love you. I love you. Um, uh, Lloyd. Lloyd. <laughs> I dug myself a hole, Lloyd. Um. Talk about his dialogue and your approach to dialogue there, because he is stumbling. And you don't tell us that he's nervous or he's frantic or really, but we we hear it in the dialogue.
1: Yeah, I think he also, in my mind, is a person of integrity. Yeah. And he he's one of those, like, I'm always looking for the humanity of characters, because I don't want them to be all evil or all good because that's boring. Um, except for sometimes when they are all pure evil, it is sometimes good. If you, I don't know, I'm thinking of like Villanelle and killing Eve, right? Anyway. Um, but even she has a backstory. So, um, but yeah, I just thinking about it in ways of, know having been an office worker and a factory worker myself like the the plant is based on a plastics factory i worked at in arkansas in college and so i'm just thinking of of how you know you go through these really personal things and your work family whether it's you know a university or a factory or an office you spend so much time with these people and then you have these really personal things happen to you. And it's so awkward. And you're kind of like, how do I even reconcile? How do I, how do I speak to this person who is in deep pain? Not just right now, but all these years later and, you know, not really understanding, Oh, this thing that we're doing is it, it brings it in stark reality that, this true crime that has happened there are actual people involved mm-hmm. it's not just spectacle so in many ways it's also like looking at the spectacle of true crime
0: yeah so and understanding
1: I think- the spectacle
0: yeah and it's important with the dialogue there that i think people forget okay lloyd wants to say something however the fact that he cares about no and cares about how she feels is holding him back from being able to say it probably as fluently as otherwise he'd be able to and as directly as otherwise he'd be able to. And those kind of social mores and the fact that we actually give a damn about people, which is good, can turn our dialogue into fragments (laughs) Mm -hmm. because we are trying to get across something and yet we can't. Um, So always thinking about the complexity uh, with the dialogue.
1: And I, again, going back to like this view of actors, it's like I, I, I was doing screenwriting for many years too. And so it's really thinking about, you know, in many ways, I don't think of it as writing. I think of it as storytelling. So the, the full picture of it and really being able to inhabit the care like knowing your characters well enough and going through that process, all that really, you know, People call it drudge work, but I don't, I love it when you kind of go through and do like, what does this character want? You know, like every character has to want something, including Lloyd, like every single character, even if it's just, I think I read it in some book, maybe it was Benjamin Percy, but even if the only character, all they want is a glass of water, it's like, what are obstacles to getting the glass of water? And that creates, creates the tension and the conflict. And so, um, when you know your characters well enough like that, you start to really picture them as real beings and you can see them stumbling. And then when you go into that really wonderful trance like state of writing, you're just, you're really just note-taking in many ways. It feels like for me, where it's like I'm watching him stumble. I'm watching him be just completely awkward. And I'm rolling my eyes and being like, oh my God, Lloyd, you're so good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, these names are perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> We've got also Viv, who's the older white Christian conservative. That to me is Viv. You know, yeah. some of these names are just so perfectly chosen. There's Casey, the white male <laughs> hipster college <Your laughs> student. Our beloved Casey. <laughs> I'm gonna to have to look for myself here. This is weird. <laughs> One thing I wanted to also note when um, K- Kelly gives that list of her little rag tag crew, there's so much personality there. So much, even though even though you are using some labels, but I think there's still so much there in the in the characters. And I think what's important to note that a lot some writers don't think about is if you name. Um, the background like Laotian or Mexican American or even the race like black, for some characters you want to be naming them for all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we have older white Christian conservative woman, um, because in that way you aren't centering um, Uh, basically the white race and you aren't assuming that your reader is as well also white so that also opens up how many um, other uh, readers that you are including um, particularly if you're a white writer Um, and that how did your agent editors respond to these first pages when you um, brought them to them did they do a lot of editing did they do a lot of I know that you have a really good working relationship with your editor.
1: I do. I do. And I have I have a really good working relationship with um, editing relationship with Chris Bucci, who, Chris Bucci um, is such a great agent too. Yeah. I mean, he's an amazing editor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so he's someone who I can bounce ideas off of, but he also reads through things very quickly too, and can help me get to right in the middle and I feel like with this I was working on it for so long um not so long I mean it feels like so long because I had the two books but yeah. um this version of it came together it sounds crazy to me in a year like for me that's very fast yeah. um, maybe not to other people but he, I'm used to spending 10 years on something so this was yeah. very breakneck for me but you know we I think working through it with uh, Elizabeth my beta reader, um, early on was really critical and just like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get there. I gotta set it all up. Um, and so their response was, I don't recall any, my brain is not quite working. I'm short circuited these days, but I don't recall any issues with it. The main thing the main thing the one thing I don't have is the first pages on here because technically it's not but I do start the book with um a victim story oh. I did put it on here just because it was um I wasn't sure how to do that <laughs> yeah. I guess I cheated a little bit Michelle I'm you sorry cheated yes I, I I wasn't really sure how that would work it felt a little too chunky but I do start with um a format called it. So I started as a shared Google Doc about the hunt and when it was last edited. So, because I work in IT um, in technology, I use Google Docs all the time. And for some reason, I was like, I'm going to totally use the, a Google Doc in this. <laughs> it was that they were like, What are you doing? Like, those were the pieces they weren't as are clear about and so what i ended up doing was so at the first like all throughout the book in between every single chapter there's i call them interludes because you know grow, grow up you know with your prince records and your janet jacket. Jackson and Madonna and they always had interludes in between their songs and so because it's a radio I like a radio station I always kind of had that in my head they're interludes so they're victim stories it's kind of like this greek chorus of the town and there's like a slack message in there from someone just from random people in town kind of like what's happening like tick tock the death clock it's starting you know just so you can get um the townspeople view so those that was the piece where it was kind of like, okay, we got to figure out how this is working, mm-hmm. uh, and I think we did. But, but yeah, that was that was the more challenging piece. Like once I got into the story, it was pretty, pretty smooth flowing.
0: I think writers though are, are using those sorts of other texts much more and more these days. I just finished the the novel Community. I think it's called Community Board, or maybe it's just called Community by Tina. Uh, Oakland. Um, and it's about, you know, basically people writing messages onto a community board and we get snippets of that. And if they're all crazy and zany and it's so and fun, it's bizarre. So, yeah. so it just adds an interesting other um side to the text that that I think can work quite well. And again, a lot of writers are doing it these days and having having fun with it. And I think the readers do too. Um, Holly, I'm gonna have to let you go. Um Everyone, you can find our full schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges. By the way, Kelly did the opening of our first writing challenges, a challenge about setting goals. And that was very, very um, helpful to a lot of people. So I would look for that. You can also find all of these on any podcast platform that you like to listen to. Okay, Kelly, one last question. What advice do you have for authors about their own first pages? I would say
1: <laughs> write them, not write them last, but don't fuss over them until. For me, I wouldn't fuss over them until um, you're nearly done, because yeah. I feel like it is when I'm writing, it's I, I do write chronologically, but I think kind of scattershot. Um, so I I think in many ways it reminds me of like finishing a house you know it's kind of like they're so important that in many ways it's just i i i I used to spend so much time frustrated over them and trying to make them perfect and i felt like it was i couldn't really know the first until i knew the end and everything all along the way so in many ways i just give myself a, a pass to even working on them until I've gotten the rest of the story really down. And then I can be like, oh, so that kind of mirrors what I'm doing at the end. And so you can play, then it becomes kind of like this little puzzle. And I think it's a lot of fun and it's a lot more fun than what I used to do, where it was just like, oh my God, this one word is not perfect. And so I focus less on that than, um, once I know the story, kind of doing a lot of the setup because I know where I'm going.
0: Yeah. And most authors give that advice. You need to know the whole book before you can really diddle with your first pages. Um, and and then, but a lot of people don't follow it and they just <laughs> it just
1: yeah, works yeah, first. Like I you said, fine
0: too. You just yeah. might be wasting some time. I, I do. You might yeah. be
1: wasting time, but I, you know, in many ways you also have to live and learn, right? So <laughs> figure it out and then come back here and tell us we were right.
0: <laughs> all right, everyone, live and learn. That is the message for your writing day. And Kelly, Thank you so much for being with us.
1: you go where it tells you to go, but you never
0: wonder why. There isn't nothing here at all.